Welcome to From the Back Tees, a podcast where we tee it up from the back every week. Take it from a guy who just got an ace. It is way easier to get the ball in the hole in one time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the From the Back Tees podcast. I'm Jerry Lou, And I'm Zach Penser. And Zach, we have a really, really fun show today. Who do we got on the blowers? So we got our guy from hashtag rappers don't golf, Tucker Booth. Do you want to introduce our special guest today? What's going on, fellas? Nice to be back on the pod. Yeah, I got a really special guest today, an especially special guest. He is the subject of my new 13,000-plus word bio profile. I built a masterpiece, and then I fell apart. The Michael J. Whalen story, former architect of the Golf Channel, survivor of multiple life-threatening diseases, and super dope human being. Michael J. Whalen. Mike, say hello. Hey, guys. Good evening. Good to be here tonight. Oh, Mike, you ditched the robe. Uh, well, I don't have any pants on, so I had to put it over just in case my camera drops. No, that's that's a good just in case. You're right. No, that's uh, the opposite of hindsight. A <laughs> <laughs> hey, thirteen thousand words, man. I I think I don't, I don't think there's anybody else out there that you want to go to more than thirteen, uh, Tucker. You know, if we got to fourteen, I was going to tell you to go f yourself, Mike. So yeah, I mean thirteen. <laughs> You know, if you if you didn't put this thing to air pretty soon, you know, it's uh, you, you can't allow a producer like me to be looking at shit like that. <laughs> Otherwise, it it'll, takes it'll forever be... to go back through it. Perfectionist. This thing wear, yeah, this thing wear on my 80th birthday. <laughs> well, I was just thinking <laughs> what Mike, Mike was, was helpful with my last piece that we published, the Breaking Bad with Peter Kessler article. That took about three months to write. Mike, I was just doing yeah. some estimates. This is about five and a half months from start to finish to get this thing iced. So we put took five and a half months, but but you worked for two days. <laughs> True. <laughs> the rest of the time I was just shooting heroin, but you know that's yeah. neither. <laughs> so Tucker, do you want to uh, let the fans know what the piece is about? Preview it. Yeah, and I'll let Mike chime in in a second, but I'll just start by kind of going back and talking about how I met Michael. I was working on um, putting together a puff piece about former Golf Channel iconoclast Peter Kessler, and I'd come on this podcast with you guys and had said some things that Peter had said to me and kind of reiterated them as paraphrase, and at the time, Michael and I had just become acquainted on Twitter. He had found me because of my Rick Riley piece that I wrote for- Oh, that's back. right. Yeah. And- Mike came to me privately and said, you are purporting things that he said that are simply not true. And I'd like to help you if you want this to be correct. And this made change, right? The the piece ended up morphing. He didn't just give me info. Michael introduced me to a number of other people that were there for the genesis of the golf channel that he put together. And it really fleshed the piece out. So Michael was kind of somebody that really served as a roadmap to me being able to write a more comprehensive, accurate, sincere piece instead of just rehashing what Peter said. And Indeed. in the process, we became friends. And 
I got to know Michael's story, which I don't think has ever really been told before properly. In fact, I was saying to Michael before this piece, when I would Google Michael J. Whalen online, not much would come up at all. Uh, maybe a few words here or there from former Golf Channel employees like Scott Van Pelt and others saying he was the creative genius. If it wasn't for Michael, Golf Channel wouldn't have existed, but not a lot. And I kind of kept saying there seems to be kind of some, some whiff of things going south with you and the Golf Channel, but I'd like to hear it from you. And so Mike told me his entire life story. We didn't just hear about Golf Channel. I got to know the entire Michael J. Whalen story. And I started to really believe in it because I think it's a tale that a lot of people can relate to, especially those with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a tale of, of survival. It's a tale of, of perseverance over tough beginnings. It's a tale of genius. And it's a tale of how the golf channel that we all love and that we all watch all the time was received oh, by this genius dude who then kind of disappeared off the map and has not been given as much credit as I think he deserves for it. So that's kind of what the whole piece is about. Mike, do you want to add anything? Well, I, I think you said it pretty well. I mean, I, um, it's been 25 years since I've talked about the golf channel. Um, I really had no intention to do it. I'd sort of put that in my past burners and, uh, really had moved on. It, uh, it was a rough time at the golf channel. I went there with the intention of building a, a, an incredible niche network, which obviously ended up happening. But I also went there with an idea that this could be a great story one day. So the entire time I was at the golf channel, I took really copious notes, uh, and journaled every single day at the golf channel thinking that, uh, 30 years from uh, 1994, I would be getting my Rolex watch and they would be uh, sending me into retirement. Uh, but it didn't, didn't quite happen that way. It was, uh, it was pretty harrowing and pretty traumatic while exciting at the same time. And um, in the last couple of months, uh, Tucker has convinced me that uh, my story is a little bit more than just a golf creation story. It's a golf story of redemption and uh, second chances and mental illness and a lot of different things. Um, And he coerced me into trusting him and uh, allowing him to, uh, to tell, really tell my story that's never been done. And he's absolutely right. It's, it's a very, uh, I'm somewhat of an urban legend at the golf channel, having created the entire production, you really can't find me in the golf channel has done a really good job of sort of uh, uh, erasing the the first five or six years of the Golf Channel. So unless you hear from me or anybody who was there in the very beginning, uh, you wouldn't know I existed. Yeah, uh, real quick, I just want to interject uh, uh, Mr. Whalen. And, yes, it took me a while to uh, pronounce that correctly. I apologize. And uh, all the can you give us a, a brief background about yourself? I mean, who who you are and how you got to be in your position uh, to get to create, so to speak, or be your position with Golf Channel? I, well, I started off back, I went to school at St. Mary's College on a baseball scholarship back in the 70s. And what position? My, I was a right fielder. Oh. I, was a right, I was a right fielder. I was a first team All-American my first year. I uh, thought I had a good career in professional baseball and woke up one day and realized that at 5'9", 155 pounds, 
with Dave Winfield playing in front of me, I probably wasn't going to go very far in baseball. So luckily <laughs> I had a pretty good uh, academic career in, in medicine and decided to uh, become a doctor and went out to New York. My father was with the New York Knicks at the time. And really? uh, yeah, my dad was a big uh, sports guy with, with Pittsburgh Pirates back in the 60s when they won the World Series against the Yankees. Oh, so hell Masarowski's, yeah. Yeah, Masarowski's first walk-off home run and then went on to uh, work with the Knicks. So my dad was a real big sports guy in New York, so he helped me uh, establishing a uh, – um, a potential medical career in New York, which never happened. Uh, I was dating a girl at the time who was an actress on a show called All My Children, and she took me to a couple of parties, and I got hooked on the TV business. And oh, met oh. the yeah, I met the president of CBS Sports, who, uh, who knew my dad from the Knicks, who said, you know, if you ever decide to drop out of med school and uh, work for nothing in television, let me know. And six weeks later, I dropped out and uh, got a job at CBS, stayed there for a couple of years, lasted uh, not too long, and uh, kind of left CBS not knowing what I was going to do, then got picked up by HBO for a 14-day job on a Marvin Hagler fight, and lasted there for 14 years as the director no of kidding. and produced uh, Wimbledon Tennis and their boxing and their documentaries became the number three guy at HBO. And then as Tucker's story is going to tell you, uh, I got sick of the New York winners and one of my best buddies at HBO um, was hired by Joe Gibbs and IMG as the senior vice president of production and programming for the golf channel. And Bob knew how much I loved the golf channel. I mean, how much I love golf and uh, convinced me to leave HBO and the, uh, and start the whole production in 94 in Orlando, Florida, where I stayed until 98 and left there and uh, have never worked in television since. Well, and let me just interject, Mike. You weren't just hired to work at the Golf Channel like some regular cog in the machine. You were the Roger Ailes, if you will, of the Golf Channel. You were the oh, one yeah. that teamed oh, well, it up. Well, I – yeah, well, I, I, thanks for the analogy. Uh, he looks better than Ailes. He looks much better than Ailes, first and foremost. Yeah, yeah, my jowls are not, are not quite as big, and uh, I don't have, <laughs> have as many. I don't have as many lawsuits as Roger right now. But uh, outside of that, I guess I, that, that's a good analogy. We try not to keep it political, but it happens. So go ahead, fellas. <laughs> well, I just mean that, that, like Ailes, he was tasked to come up with everything for this network. He wasn't just a producer. He wasn't just a director. He wasn't just an on-screen talking head. This guy schemed it all up from beginning to end. This was his vision, you guys. Like Ailes, he came up with all the programming that was going to be on the Golf Channel. He hired all the people that were going to help make it happen from you know the Peter Kesslers and the Scott Van Pelts to all of the camera people and all of the the people that made it happen and he was the one that tirelessly worked for 18 to 20 hours a day to make sure that this thing got off the ground which was not a foregone conclusion for quite a long time now that it's a billion dollar oh, yeah. industry look at Golf Channel and we go oh this is an institution that was not what it was when Mike was getting it going it was very oh, much a question mark I think one of the things that Tucker related to, I mean, if you remember the great movie, A Beautiful Mind, uh, with Russell Crowe, directed by Ron Howard about John oh, Nash. Oh, um, yeah. 
you know, he was a great mathematician uh, in a uh, in a mentally ill way. I'm a uh, I was a terrific television creator in a mentally ill way. Uh, you know, one of my gifts is being able to uh, to see pictures and hear sounds and see sets and pick talent. And uh, I was just the perfect person at the perfect time to do a perfect job at the perfect place for a few years. Um, you know, I, I never really thought it was going to be a forever job. I came in as a creative hitman for a couple of years and, uh, and had five and a half months to put on a 24 hours, seven day a week, 365 uh, day a year television network. And when I got there, uh, there was nothing but a blank easel board and, uh, and Joe Gibbs and Bob Greenway and myself. And, uh, and within six months, we, we, we put the, we hit the switch and the golf channel went on the air, but it was the journey from July of 94 until January of 95. Um, that really is Tucker's story about, a guy who has creative uh, genius skills, but also walks a very tight uh, balancing act of uh, with mental illness, and it's and it's the story of of, of a high functioning person uh, doing a fabulous job, but maybe forgot to look out after himself during the entire time, and um, and had a deep fall. And the only person you'd be talking about is uh, Captain Crunch, right? You got it, man. Well, let me just let me just chime in one more time here because I think these numbers are staggering. He just said it took him six months from the time that he started scheming up Golf Channel to the day they flipped the switch and put it on air, folks. Six months from start conception to on air. Six months. Yeah, that's crazy. What would you say? Uh, what would you say a show typically takes to start? Well, 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 look at it this way. The Tucker brought up the Roger Ailes. In 1994, there was two brand new television networks that started at the exact same time. The Golf Channel and Fox News. Roger yeah. Ailes had a billion dollars in the pockets of Rupert Murdoch and had 19 months. I had uh, chewing gum and some spit and uh, I had five and a half months to put on a, uh, what Fox News did in 19 months. So I was working around the clock. Um, I hired over a hundred people. I designed all the sets. I created all the music. Uh, I was screwing in light bulbs. I was working on budgets. I was flying around the world. I was hiring people. Um, it, 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 was, uh, it, was, it was more than I thought that it was going to be. Um, I had had some background experience in this type of craziness, having worked on a couple of Olympic games. Uh, the last one, the 92 Olympics in Barcelona, where you get a conglomerate of people from all over the world putting on this massive production for, you know, 14 days. So I kind of had an idea of the, what it was going to take, um, but I never really knew what it was going to take till I got down there. Um, and every day was a frightening experience. Uh, you know, I had to pretend that I knew what the hell I was doing when many days I didn't. Um, you know, my, my, my apartment at the time looked like one of those charts from Homeland with, with, with what's her name? Uh, <laughs> there was, I mean, there was tapes and there was uh, yard. 
string yarn connected to everything. And I swear to God, thank God there was no internet back there because somebody would have busted into my house thinking I was a fucking lunatic. <laughs> uh, I kind of was in a good way. But, uh, you know, there was there was post-its all over my house and my room and my car. And I, I, I was, you know, every time I'd have an idea, I would jot it down. And, um, you know, I created over 1,500 pages of notes from the day I arrived into Orlando, Florida, until the day that they escorted me off the grounds in uh, 98. So uh, it was quite the eccentric journey of putting on a television network uh, by one person who happened to be able to find some of the greatest production people that are still working in the business. Well, Mike, I was talking with Paul Farnsworth, one of your top producers and best friends from that era. First, first guy I hired. First guy you hired. And Farnsworth says in this piece, you weren't just doing everything you just said. You were literally vacuuming the studio the night that they flipped the switch to do the first broadcast. He was well, screwing got, bulbs and I've got, I, I, I've got OCD. I saw, I, I, I saw little things of, of, of felt and dirt on the rug. You know, a guy, you know, John Nash would have saw little mathematical formulas on that rug. I, I saw dirt and fuzz, so I had to get it off. I had to, I had to make sure Kessler looked good that night. <laughs> Which is no easy task. No, not that night it wasn't. Uh, a quick question. There's just a quick personal question I had because uh, Mike said something that was interesting to me. Mike, did you ever have any interactions with uh, Hunter S. Thompson? Yeah, of course I did. Hunter, did Tucker tell you about this story? No, oh, no. I haven't told him anything. Oh, oh I'm, I, I pride myself oh, back, on a wannabe back, presence of the Hunter S. Thompson well, fan. Indulge me. Back, back in 19, it was 1984, I was doing an Andrea Yeager, Martina Navratilova story for Wimbledon. And at the time, they were both living in Aspen. And I happened yeah. to go into a bar one night. And who was sitting at the end of the bar was, was Hunter S. Thompson. And we kind of hooked up that night. Uh, uh, we had an interesting <laughs> evening. We'll, we'll just say that. We, uh, yeah. We, did he, we, did we, he watched the, we watched the stars for a few nights. <laughs> I, 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 I get that. I get that. And also, uh, I have nothing else to ask, but Tucker, I'm going to spank your ass later for not mentioning that. <laughs> Mike has sworn me to secrecy on a lot of these anecdotes that I. Hey, fair, fair. Fair is fair. Fair is fair. I, Mike says I am not even allowed to dish a fraction of the dirt that's going to come in his tell-all memoir when he's ready to drop it. So this well, is it's, just it's, order. It's, it's, it's not dirt. It's it, it's the story. It's the true story. And obviously, you know, when when I when, when I left the Golf Channel, I, I left amicably. Uh, but you know, as as all these NDAs, there's certain things that you agree to, and and I agree to. Uh, I think I agreed to them. I wasn't very coherent that day uh, when I left the golf channel, but you know, like I said, I've, I've collected 15, a little bit over 1500 pages of notes. Uh, I think I missed one day in five years, uh, but there's quite a bit of notes of every meeting that I ever had with every single person in that entire company. Um, I have a, I'm a little OCD, so uh, it, it's, it's pretty copious and uh it's 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 every almost every minute of of every day of my entire existence in Orlando, Florida, and and a lot of it is exciting, good, and creative. Some doesn't make any sense, and 
and some, uh, some, you know, I look back and, you know, I'm ashamed of uh, some of the things that happened, which is part of the story. But I've learned that uh, through mental illness, it was part of my disease. And a lot of it has been forgiving myself for 25 years and been willing to, to tell the story of a real exciting time uh, that took place. Um, but, you know, looking back, as I said, it, it's not a place that, that I, I thought that I was going to last forever. I never felt that it, it was home, that it was, uh, I was going to retire uh, my jersey or they were going to fly, fly my flag out in front of the Golf Channel. Uh, I came in, did what I had to do, and, uh, and, and, I, and I'm glad. The Golf Channel is exciting. It's great. People watch it. I don't think it's got the heart and soul that it did back in 95 and 96. Uh, it's, it's, it's different, but, uh, but, but that's okay. Everything changes uh, in life, including television networks. Yeah, well, so I, I noticed you mentioned, well, the whole thing a lot has to do with mental illness. And I know myself, I've suffered with anxiety and a bunch of that stuff. And I do find there is a big stigma around it. And one of the best things reading over it, as I've been doing the editing of 13,000 words, mm. is that you go over everything. You don't just hide the bad parts. You talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. And I think for sure that'll be great for people to see. And that's why we're all very excited to share it. Well, I think it's, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, a, a lot of it is, you know, uh, you know, look, being a couple of years older than, 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 than the three of you, you know, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, 80s, even even the 90s, uh, you just didn't talk about mental illness, let alone anxiety, panic attacks. I mean, you're talking about serious bipolar disorder uh, mm -hmm. where you, you just didn't know what the fuck was going on inside of my mind. I, I, I really didn't get it at the time. And back in those days, uh, you, you know, there was no internet. You guys got to remember it. There was no, there was no way for me to kind of Google and, and search what the hell was going on with me. Um, and you certainly didn't want to share uh, your maladies with people around you when you had such important roles in at, at a network as HBO and then the Golf Channel. I mean, I wasn't about to walk down the hall to Joe Gibbs and Arnold Palmer and say, hey, guys, I just want to let you know uh, I'm, I'm hearing things and I'm seeing things and uh, I'm not sure if I can uh, manage your $100 million correctly, but I'll get back to you guys later. Uh, when I'm feeling a little bit better, I mean, it was a secret that I, I had to keep hidden for, you know, 38, 39 years of my life. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, anxiety, depression, you know, mania, uh, you know, not taking the right, you know, you know, if I would have sought help when my 20s or my 30s and, you know, been put on the right medication and had the right therapist, things, this, today's story would have been a lot different. Oh, but, completely. You know, but, you know, the, the employee assistance programs that HR departments and companies now have were just getting started back then and there. And, uh, and once again, you know, we, you know, a, a part of my illness is being duly diagnosed. It's not only having the bipolar disorder and being hyperverbal, but it's also, you know, the addiction to, you know, to going out and drinking and doing the drugs and, uh, you know, all those types of things are just really dangerous cocktails to somebody with any uh, mental illness, let alone bipolar disorder. But having said that, 
um, you know, part of that illness was also my genius. I mean, I just thought differently and I was more creative and, uh, you know, it, I don't think I would have been as great a television executive producer, writer, producer, if I didn't have that, that mental illness, um, you know, as most actors, artists, musicians uh, have, we, you know, they're all a little quirky in their own ways. Um, some just get help in time and they live. And others, unfortunately, if they don't, there's a real sad story uh, uh, on the last page. Well, you know, the Joker movie that just came out, Mike, that I just reviewed for another podcast, the big statement that the Joker character makes in this is that the worst part about mental illness is that nobody ever wants you to talk about it or act like you're ill. They want you to act normal. And that's a paraphrase, but essentially society gets freaked out by not knowing how to help and, and not feeling comfortable around it. And I think you in particular as a creative person, it's like they want all of the good part of the crazy. They want all the, the creative side and they want the, the kind of manic passion for it. But as soon as it becomes more real life and personal type problems that you're struggling with in that era, from what it sounds like, that was when everybody got real squeamish and suddenly you became a liability versus the reason why they were successful. And I think that's also what this piece really delves into is kind of how modern day we're more sensitive to mental health awareness and we're, we're more sympathetic to trying to empathize with folks that have these problems and get them help. But back then, like you said, this was a taboo that you had to kind of, you know, act like it wasn't happening until it was too late and suddenly everybody knew and then it was time for you to go. And I think that's also part of the story is, is kind of examining how, you know, society is still a work in progress as far as all these issues go. But it sure seems like we're a lot more well-rounded now in 2019 as far as uh, mental health awareness than it seems like it was back when you were there in the 90s. Well, I think I think in retrospect, I think knowing what I know now, I I probably should have stayed at HBO. I mean, HBO uh, was aware of my condition at the time. I had a fabulous support group. The executives who worked with me at HBO Sports were aware uh, that I did have some issues. But once again, you know. HBO was a very progressive company at the time. Not only were they the first company on planet Earth ever to give you know health insurance and rights to uh, to gay partners, but they also focused on the mental health aspect back in the 80s and made it a very safe place to to get help. Uh, when I left the Golf Channel, uh, I was pretty stable. I, I mean, when I left HBO. I was pretty stable at the time. I had been getting help for many, many years. I had been sober. Um, so I thought that, you know, when I got to the Golf Channel, it would be okay. And for a while it was. I mean, in the very beginning, uh, I, I was, uh, everything was fine. I wasn't drinking. I was working. It was great. And then all of a sudden your mind starts to tell you that you're okay and you're fine. And, uh, you know, maybe going down to Sam's Needs for a few cocktails uh, until three in the morning won't be bad for one night. And then it turns into two nights and then it turns into three nights. And then you realize you haven't slept in a week or two or three. And um, you're, half the times you're not even aware of the danger that you're causing or what, what you're even doing. Um, but the problem that I have is that if you were to meet me, uh, you would never guess in a million years 
uh, outside of me being a little bit hyperverbal and accepted that there was anything seriously wrong with me. I mean, you would not look at me and say, my goodness gracious, this guy's got schizophrenia or he's got some mental illness. You know, we, we really need to lock this guy up in his office and put, you know, balloons around so he doesn't hurt himself. Uh, and, and that's my problem is that you don't see mental illness. You don't, you don't see it. It's not liking having a, a disease where you can empathize with the person's condition. Uh, a high functioning person with mental illness can hide for decades until suddenly like a pressure cooker, uh, it just explodes and there's shit all over the ceiling. And that's kind of what happened with me is, um, the amount of work that it took to put on that golf channel and the amount of pressure that I had to make sure that hundreds of people were fed and they could pay their mortgage and their rent and making sure that those shows got on the air and that Arnold and everybody's $100 million didn't get flushed down the toilet. Uh, the amount of pressure that I had was absolutely in, it, it was overwhelming and um, I had nobody to tell this to. I mean, I couldn't, you know, it's kind of like being the father of your family and there's a storm hitting, you're scared shitless, but you don't want your wife and your kids and, and everybody to know that you're afraid. So you pretend through the whole storm that everything's going to be okay. And then when everything calms down, uh, like Zach said, you have an anxiety or a panic attack because uh, you had nobody to decompress to. And that's what I did every single day at the Golf Channel is, you know, I promised Joe and Arnold and all the investors and all the employees that uh, who bought into my dream and vision that this was the greatest thing. Um, and, and I just worked, you know, 20 hour days making sure that it was. And I was going to be damn sure that when the when that lights went on, that it was going to be HBO looking uh, top because I knew I was going to get one shot at making sure that investors and, and advertisers and distributors uh, looked at this and, and saw it as a great potential. And it, it did, but there was a price to pay. I mean, there was a group of soldiers that stormed the beach of Normandy who got blown away. And uh, I, I don't want to relate, you know, I don't want to, trivialize the war, but uh, there was a couple of us, me leading the, the, the beaches that, uh, you know, got kind of blown away in the, in the television <laughs> world and, and took a, took a beating. Yeah. No, no, you trivialize that. There's no trivializing that at all. And real quick, Zach, I'm sorry. I mean, uh, Michael's from a different era where uh, anyone from the era that lived through the cold war, God bless you. Anyone who says that they're, like, you know, times are tough now. And yeah, politically, things are in America are really like, you know, goofy or, or shitty or whatever, or anything between those two words. But ultimately, I say like between like 1960 through like 1985, shit was pretty fucked. And I really appreciate the fact that my parents didn't pull out their hair and they lived their lives. And, and, that, and that's also like just added stress. Stuff you didn't talk about, Mike. Just stuff like just that's just like uh, that was just common for you. Like, we have a lot of distractions now in this day and age, and I literally am, like, the oldest millennial in terms of, like, how the dividing line works. So, I mean, I can – I feel like both my feet are in both pants. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I – yeah, you know, I absolutely agree that it was uh, – you know, we were not prepared. No, was Joe Gibbs or Arnold Palmer or Bob Greenway or Mike Whalen. We were not prepared uh, the – 
what effect this was going to have on a lot of people, especially senior leadership, and especially me. I mean, you know, it's it, it you know, at the end of the day, um, it was all about what the Golf Channel was going to look like and sound like and feel like. Uh, it wasn't about the advertising time, yeah. and so yeah. it had to look great. So you know, I had to make sure that the uh, the wedding reception was perfect for the bride and the groom. And, Indeed, and, and, and it was. Um, and when you have when you have a when you have a mental illness, uh, you know, it things get exacerbated quickly, and uh, and you know, and you know, PTSD, bipolar, all that kind of stuff. Um, when, when everything kind of slowed down is when sort of the shit started to hit the fan a little bit, when things were crazy mm -hmm. and, and uh, when was, is when I functioned really well. It's when my mind slows down at night, when I try to get calm is when the anxiety and the panic attacks and, and the depression and when my mind goes into dark places. And, and so, you know, I'm always keeping busy as much as I can. I drive my wife and everybody crazy around me. I drove my employees crazy. I mean, I, I, that's why I was there at five in the morning and I left at night because I knew that for me to be sane, I had to be working. And, is that, you know, I'm sorry. Keep going, Mike. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Well, is that a form of manic depressive? I mean, I'm kind of a layman, but I'm also like, I know I'm suffering from something as well. So, well, I think, I, I think, you know, being, being bipolar, you know, there's, there's the spectrums of, of having the mania. Uh, mm. The mania is where you're, you're, you're constantly, you know, going and, uh, you know, my, my biggest form of mania is what they call hyper, being hyperverbal. Um, if you listen to me long enough, you'll know that I just, I go and 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 I go because my mind is always, you know, my mind is, is 27 frames in front of my mouth. Uh, you know, and I'm seeing things and I see things in frames and I, and I, I see the world completely different and I can't keep up with my thoughts. Um, so, so the mania is, is, is the part that normally gets one in trouble. It causes reckless behavior and bad decisions, but it's also the creative part too. It's the genius and it's the artistic and it's seeing things in depth and color and, and being a great musician and you, and you can play chords and you can, you can write music and you can, but it also has this negative aspect. And then there's the crashing, which is the depression part. And that's when everything just slows down and, that's the time when really dark, murky, foggy things come into your life and uh, you go into suicidal thoughts. And, and so, you know, the great thing about today's medicine is that, you know, they keep you sort of balanced. So the highs aren't too high and the lows aren't too low. But if you don't uh, control it, then the only way to really control it is to, um, go out and drink, go out and gamble, go out and have an eating disorder, go out and have a panic attack, go have an anxiety oh. attack. Uh, yeah. It, it's you, it, yeah, you got to have, you know, depression manifests itself in lots of different ways. And if you stop one, it usually pops up uh, through another way. So you got to have a, a great support team because, you know, when I was young, I was, you know, I had the drinking and I had the drugging and I had the sex addiction and, and I had the eating disorders and, uh, you know, you looked at me and you thought that you want to be me. I mean, you just, you know, I, 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 I'm, it looks like I walked off a GQ magazine, 
but my life was a fucking mess. I think that's a problem a lot of people have, especially in the public image that you see it and you think their life is great and it probably takes a toll on those people, like thinking they have to live up to something and people look up to them, but really they struggle and can't really show it. Well, Zach, you see it every day. I mean, I mean, how many how many more suicides do we have to see, and how many rehabs do people go into, and how many careers are lost, and you know how much damage is done to families and homes and wives and husbands and significant. I mean, it's just it's a it's a horrible illness that uh, that that we don't recognize and embrace um, enough until something damaging really happens. Um, and that's the sad part is that, you know, I, I, you know, I so wish that, you know, I could have shared what was going on with me so much more articulately and, and better when I was at the golf channel, but you know what, I don't think the golf channel would have been around today if I would have done it. So unfortunately, yeah. I, like I said, I, I, I you know, I, I was willing to be the first guy off of, uh, onto the beach of Normandy uh, in order to make sure the Golf Channel got built. And, uh, you know, when I needed some help, uh, I didn't know where to turn. And, and that was the thing is, you know, I went into severe isolation after the Golf Channel and I, um, you know, parted ways. Um, and I was just lost and, and I spiraled uh, severely downhill to the point where, as you'll read in the story, as you already have, uh, you know, I, I made a really horrible decision. Um, and it wasn't like I hadn't thought about it a hundred times before, but, you know, the, the, the suicide attempt on Christmas Eve in, in 90, was it 98, 99, uh, was something that felt so natural. And it wasn't like it was, it, it was strange. It was, it, it, it was like a normal thing. Like, you know, I think I'll brush my teeth, I'll comb my hair, I'm have dinner, and then I think I'll put a hose in my car. I mean, it was, it was a bizarre, um, you know, set of steps that, that I wanted to do. And, and I was just tired and hopeless and sad. And, um, and, and, and here was a guy who months earlier was being recognized as one of the most brilliant under 40 year old guys in the, you know, entertainment world. And, uh, you know, a couple months later, I'm in a, uh, I'm in a EMT going to a behavioral health center thinking that I'm fucking losing my mind. Uh, mm. and I was, and I was, well, I want to chime in here because though I never had this success that Michael had in my thirties, I do think I can relate to a lot of what he's talking about with the creativity and the, the constant validation for that from people that were fans and sycophants and hangers on and feeling like I, like I had something that everybody else didn't, but I also had these massive mood swings that he talks about and also felt like I went through suicidal tendencies and, and severe depression, especially at night. So many stuff that you outline in this, in this story, Mike, so many of the things that you dealt with, I've personally felt and experienced before I sought help. And before life kind of helped me out. And I think, you know, just without giving too much of the story away, what you didn't mention about that night where you tried to commit suicide was that what snapped you back into reality was your dogs barking and feeling like your heart went out to these dogs who were panicked and scared and potentially in danger. And your love of life in a broader sense brought you back 
to caring enough about yourself to not kill yourself. And I think I relate to that too. And I think a lot of people relate to that, that, you know, we kind of need life in a larger way to give us a reason to live. And life did give you a reason to live. And then it gave you plenty of more reasons to live like your wife, your children, a lot of the charitable work that you've done since. And then even battling cancer later on and being given a virtual death sentence and, and deciding that you were going to live in the face of that. And you pretty much beat cancer too. I mean, gosh, I'd say that's a true 180 for somebody that was willing to kill themselves 20 years ago, beating cancer and years ago. Well, I think it's just, you know, I think we all have our, I think we all have our adversities in life and we all have our stories to tell. They may not be suicide, but they might be losing jobs and losing loves and losing houses and losing opportunities Mm -hmm. and not doing the things that we thought we wanted to do one day and staring into a mirror and seeing the predicament that we've now uh, brought upon ourselves. Uh, whether we blew chances, opportunities, or, or lost loves, we all have those stories. Um, some people just have the wiring and the DNA to handle them better and have better support. I mean, I'm, I, I do so much work with mental illness now and prostate cancer and uh, all the things that I didn't have when I was your guy's age. You know, I, there, there was nobody around to hold my hand when, you know, and I think a lot of the golf channel was just a whole series of life experiences where I was blindsided. I was blindsided by my father leaving my mother. I was blindsided by my father and my mother arguing. I was blindsided about having dyslexia and about having uh, a stuttering problem and, and speech impediments and being afraid of people. And I was blindsided by my mother's death and I was blindsided that one day I wasn't going to be a professional athlete and I was blindsided that CBS didn't want me. And I was blindsided that HBO decided not to put a big chunk of money and keep me. And then I was blindsided that the golf channel that a couple of people who I trusted would, would go after me because my, and then I was, I mean, it, when you're a, when you have mental illness and you get these blindsides, what most people can handle for somebody who has a bipolar disorder or anxiety or panic like Zach was, I mean, it just, it just exacerbates to us where, you know, it just gets amped up to where, you know, sometimes we just can't handle it or it just gets too overwhelming and, uh, you know, bad decisions are made and, and bad decisions are not always suicide attempts. Bad decisions are reckless behavior and bad decisions are, you know, uh, blowing a job or, or it's a DUI or it's, you know, showing a plate. For, I mean, whatever it is, it's, 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 you know, it's, it, you, you've, you've got to, you know, the stigma of, of the mental illness has got to come to an end and it, and it is, I mean, I see so much hope and I see so much energy and I see so many people and, and, you know, I, I talk about it so much more freely now than I did 30 years ago and people aren't, you know, it's it, it, if you hang around me, it's it's kind of like duh. Of course you are. You know, we we know you're nutty. You know, it, it, it's you know we, we love your genius. We love your creativity. Um, but it wasn't like that. It's kind of you know I I have a, I have a real relationship to you know to to the gay community and to the transgender community and all these 
you know, these, these groups of people that are stuck inside of their heads and their bodies. And all they want to do is to be loved and be told that they're okay and have somebody just grab them and hug them and say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm here and we're going to get through this together. And for so many of us, you know, me at the golf channel, I went five years without feeling that I was okay. Uh, feeling that anybody loved me or anybody appreciated it. And, you know, and, and I just fell deeper and deeper and, um, and I don't blame anybody. You know, we all, we, we, we tried to make it happen. We all did our own thing, but, but, but there was people who knew that I needed some help. And, and I think there was a couple of people that could have helped me a little bit more. And, you know, it's taken me, um, it's taken me 25 years uh, to forgive them. And it's taken me 25, it's taken me 63 years to forgive myself. No, that's Mike, I want to add this because I didn't put this in the piece and I definitely want this on the podcast. If you go and search golf channel online, especially when you type in searches that include golf channel reunion, golf channel retrospective, stuff like that. And I was doing this research for the piece. He has seriously been erased from all official golf channel releases so is peter kessler by the way like that very fun guy like we're like biggest names on there it's like if saturday night live was doing a retrospective and chevy chase and dan Aykroyd were not involved at all or no lauren michaels and chevy chase were just not there it'd be like that that's very astute analogy tucker that's very very perfect I, well, I mean, it, it's, it's that ridiculous when you think about Michael being the Lauren Michaels-like brains behind this place and Peter Kessler being the first face and personality that first put it on the map. What, what, regardless of anything that they did that might have, you know, put anyone off or that made anybody feel like, like there was ill will toward them, the fact that they're not given any credit I think is mind-blowing. And I didn't put that in the – because Mike didn't want me to carp about it, but I will put it on the podcast. I think that's amazing. Well, it's been, you know, it's been, you know, it's, it's, it, look, I, I would be lying if I said there, there hasn't been 20 years where my heart hasn't been broken just because of the lack of recognition. Uh, look, look, I, I, I'm, I'm proud to say this, that without me, there'd be no feet to go up. You know, I know that they know that, but you know, for whatever happened, and, and and even take it to Peter Kessler to a, a bigger level. I mean, despite Peter's, you know, issues and problems and, you know, and all the, you know, with, without Peter in that position, the golf channel would not have made it either. Uh, you know, Peter Kessler was the driving force behind that golf channel and, you know, you can't find Peter and I anymore. You Google my name and a lawsuit with Mark about me uh, on a sexual harassment claim comes up and that's it. Um, you know, something that was alleged, you know, 30 years ago and that's it. Um, you know, and that's, you know, and, and you hope today that, hello, am I there? Oh, yeah, you're there. You're there, Mike. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Everybody dropped off for a second. Uh, you know, and, and it's, you know, it, it's a painful thing when, you know, in today's uh, you know, website uh, ruining careers and, and, and reputations, when you know you 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 don't even tell anybody what you do because you don't want them to Google your name. It doesn't come up Golf Channel genius or Emmy award winning Peabody award winner. It comes up with all the 
negative shit that I've done. And, you know, it, it imagine that your worst day of your life was the only thing that ever popped up in your entire life. Just smear campaigns, nothing but. It's a, smear well, the it's, a, it, it's a smear campaign and none of it is true. And I have no way to stop it. And I don't understand why the Golf Channel did what they did. Um, I, I don't understand it. But you know what? It's, you know, it, it, at some point you got to get over it. You got, and, it, and then for me, it, it took me 25 years. Some people could have done it in one year. Uh, somebody with mental illness. It's amazing that when you have mental illness, the exacerbation of negative stuff is so intense. The good stuff, hey, the night I won the Emmy, I don't think about that very much. The one or two bad things I did at the Golf Channel every day for 25 years. I mean, well, that's just the way, that's the way we think. Like, because we didn't put it in the piece, and you're not saying this, I'm saying this, because I know this, and I found this through my research. When you left Golf Channel the way you did, I believe that you were kind of railroaded out the door. I believe that you were given a pittance compared to what you were owed for all that you've done for them. And I think that as of today, Mike should be multi-millions of dollars wealthier for what he has done compared to what he has been compensated for his work. And I, I put that out there because you won't even put that out there, Mike, but I've, I've researched this. I've dug deep. They obviously got rid of you when you were mentally not at your finest. And I think that as of right now, you are surely owed more for all that you've done to make it as lucrative and as popular and as ubiquitous as the golf channel is today. Well, I would certainly accept the check if they sent it to me. There's no doubt about that. But I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, I. I. You know, it's look. It's. It, it's a shame that I'm. I'm. You know, I have gone through the financial difficulties and mental difficulties and life and death difficulties that I've had. And um, you know, you know what I. I. You know, I, I. I keep going back to it. You know, I. I do so much work with the veterans, and I do so much work. I wasn't. Look, I wasn't. Uh, uh, I didn't serve. I didn't do it. But I have such a, an affinity with with the lack of appreciation, love that 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 people give to other people that sacrifice. And you know, and I sacrificed for the Golf Channel in my own way. And the and the not the lack of appreciation. Sure, it's it's painful. It's it 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 hurts sometimes. It breaks. My, I mean, you know, my wife didn't want me to do this. She she tried to talk me out of it. She didn't want me to have nothing to do with this. You know, she saw it bringing up old memories again in painful times. And she saw me, you know, crying once or twice. And and you know, it's a uh, but it's but it's part of my life story. It's uh. You know, it's I'm I'm gonna take it to my grave that you know it's one of the things that I did and and who knows you know maybe I needed to go to the golf channel to be saved you know maybe I maybe I would have committed suicide if I didn't maybe I wouldn't who knows I mean you know I, I I've come to believe that things we think are good necessarily don't turn out good and things we think are bad end up having a good ending and and there's no good or bad it's just what it is it's an experience. But but maybe I had to go to the golf channel to be saved, and, and and that's the only way that I look at it right now. Well, absolutely. I mean, paths are paths, and destinations are destinations. And whether one wants to believe in fate or a finite amount of things, it's all left up in turn in terms of interpretation or randomness per se. 
Fellas, we want to keep this just under an hour to make sure it's nice and tidy for the internet. So I'm going to say, let's all three of us ask what, uh, Michael, one last question. We'll save Tucker for the end because he will have the best insight and best question, but oh, I'll, sure. go, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, and uh, Zach, sorry if you have to bat second, if you have uh, my question in hand, but Michael, you said something about hyperverbal. I've never heard that term before. I freaking love it. Um, I, I always thought I was hypervigilant and I thought that was just my cross to bear. And whether I had anxiety or bipolar, I, ex I exhibit a lot of those things sometimes on micro and macro scales. Obviously, that's the definition of it. But you embody the personal struggles that I uh, tend to deal with to a T. So what would you suggest somebody to do in the first steps of like, healing or help? Or like, what is the first thing you should uh, do to go about identifying what is your issue and how you should go about, I don't want to say taming it or putting a tamper on it. Cause like you said, I mean, hell Van Gogh cut off his ear. So the creative genius has to have the crazy side too, so to speak. And I don't mean to use those words so firmly or literally, but what I'm saying is like, how should somebody, go, if, if somebody wants to live like a nice, normal flat line, not even flat line, just normal, just regular, no highs and lows life. What is the first step for those folks? Well, it, look, it, 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 it's very, very simple. The first thing you have to do is you, you have to have a, you have to be willing to, to get therapy for the things that, that you've been carrying around with you for your entire life. And the second thing you have to do is find a psychiatrist that you trust to make sure that you can get evaluated and see what it is and make sure you're put on the right medication. I mean, it's, it's not much more difficult than that. I mean, if, if anybody feels that they're having issues in their lives, um, they're not qualified to diagnose or prognose any of these things. So for me, I didn't get well until I actually went into a behavioral health. Now, I don't say this is what you have to do for the amount of time that I did, but for me, um, I had to go into a facility for 31 days and have a lot of specialists sit with me for many, many hours and figure out not only psychologically, I mean, it, it, once you read this story, you're going to see that, you know, my problem started at six and seven years old with, with, with trauma. Uh, but there was also physiological things that were wrong with me, chemistry, physio, uh, you know, hormones and, 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 you know, electrolyte imbalance and, and lack of dopamine. I mean, there was a lots of physical things that were wrong with me. And when I found the right doctors that finally figured out the right medication for me, um, it was absolutely amazing how balanced I felt. Now, having said that, there was a numbness to it. I, I, uh, I kind of sadness to it. I, I understand. I didn't I, feel I, I, like I, I could, I, did, I lost my creativity. You know, I, 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 my mind was, my, my mind became, I had, I had erectile dysfunction in my mind. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't get it up in my mind. I couldn't think I couldn't create. I didn't see things the same way. I was depressed again. And that was a major problem is, you know, these things that made me so different and wonderful and creative and fun, all of a sudden I was healthier, but I was kind of flatlining, like you said. Now, in time, that will come back. In time, it will be better. 
Um, I'm still very creative. I still can write. I still, you know, if somebody hired me tomorrow, I, I could still build another television network. But, you know, being hyperverbal, I just gave you a 40 minute answer to your question. Um, you know, there's, there are, there are, there are professionals out there today that, that really know what the hell they're doing. Um, and, and, and they can help you live a healthier, saner, uh, less dangerous life. But hyperverbal, hyperverbal is something that, that I, you know, I just can't stop talking. Um, you know, I've gotten better, but I, I interrupt people a lot. I, I cut people off. I want my story to be told. I, you know, I, 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 I tell a story and it takes a long time and I'm learning to, to, to recognize that a little bit. Um, situations like this, they get me revved up a little bit. I go a little bit, you know, I, I kind of put the, the pedal to the floor and I go a little bit more than, you know, when I'm on the phone just talking with Tucker. So, you know, the, the stimulus of this brings my hyperverbalness back. Not my depression, okay. not my mania. That's probably the only thing that I have that remains after all these years. Well, amen, brother. I, I very much appreciate that answer because, like I said, you speak to me to a T, and that makes perfect sense. So thank you very much. But, but, but once again, once again, you know, I, 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 I do a lot of stuff with mental illness. Uh, John Tucker's buddy is an expert on this. But, you know, I see a regular therapist. I, I, I get medication every night. Um, that's why I didn't take my medication tonight. You guys would not have recognized me if I would have done it. Uh, I, pro I wouldn't have been able to do this. I would have been out sleeping, slurring. Um, but it just, it, it, it has really, I mean, I wish I would have known about this medication 30 years ago. I would have had a, a, a probably a healthier, longer, happier uh, 30 years of my life. Zach, what do you got? Yeah. So my question a bit on a different angle, more happier side of things. It relates to throughout your life. You've met tons of celebrities and the most famous of famous people. Who would you say are the top three of the people you've Bruce met? Willis. Bruce Willis. Um, one day before I die, we'll go into some stories about Bruce and I. Um, oh, I, yeah. Uh, harmonica at all? It, it's a yeah. It's a, it was a, yeah. Uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, mm. and I would say probably um, uh, I would say probably Jacqueline Smith from Charlie's Angels. Oh, that's a that's a all right. We're we're, we're going old school. F absolutely. We're going old school, but those three, uh, those, those three have been friends in my life. They've been kind. Um, I still keep up with them every now and then. Um, James Earl Jones has been a good friend in my life. Uh, what? Gene Hackman. Oh, wow. Gene Hackman. Uh, oh, Chrissy Everett wow. Lloyd has been a good friend. Who? You know, I mean, I was just, my, my favorite movies like, all time, Dr. Strangelove and uh, yeah. Young Jones in 1963, 64, when it came out, he was in that movie. So he's been around a long yeah, time. I'd say Larry David's another one. Uh, no kidding. Sharon, Sharon Stone. Wow. Um, 
But but yeah, back you know back in the old days, everybody wanted to be part of the box. Everybody wanted to see Tyson. Everybody wanted to see Sugar Ray Leonard. Everybody wanted to go to Larry Hall. Everybody. So you know, we is the place to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we would just hang out, and you know, the HBO would have the parties, and we just became good friends. And uh, um, you know, it, it it was a real good time. But but Tucker. a lot of those people, a lot of those people, I still keep in. The, you know, when I was going through cancer, George Foreman came out. I think I sent a picture to Tucker, Tucker on it. But you know, Foreman flew out here to see me when I was going through cancer, and hung out. So uh, you know, I've been very very lucky to have a couple of you know good celebrity friends who have just been my friends based on um, our friendship and you know nothing more. That's great, Tucker. Take it away. Mike, I feel like they've asked so many great questions. Hey, you know, you know what, you know what, the one question nobody has ever, ever asked me. Mike, what you asked the question? What is it? What is the biggest regret when you were at the Golf Channel? What's one thing that you wanted to do that you never got done? Ah, we don't want to ask you that. What is it? Yeah, that, that no, was I'm it. Kidding. You all agree. <laughs> well, I got to go, guys. Um, <laughs> Hey, I, yeah, uh, episode two next week. Hey, my first week that I was there, I put together a proposal to do the Arnie's, the golf awards every year, just like the ESPYs before the ESPYs were around. Oh, fucking A. Yeah. And I put the whole thing together. I created the entire show. I got all the sponsors. We're going to get all the – every year, the golfer of the year, the rookie of the year, the, the, the shot of the year, the, and I couldn't get the freaking show on the air. And no. it still isn't well, on the air. Well, That's I'm going to ask because Tiger Woods is back in the news this week. Do you have any great uh, Tiger stories uh, from the early – well, you know what? I, I, okay, I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna put a little downer. I'm gonna put a little downer on this a little bit. Gah. I, well, I, we know. You know, Tiger's a prick, so it's cool. You can. I, I, you know what? <laughs> but but I knew. But you got to remember, I, I knew Tiger back. I think he was still a senior at Stanford. That's how far. I mean, I don't. I think like in '95, you guys would know better than I would. Wasn't that? Wasn't he still like a senior? Yeah, right around right ninety six is when he was when he came out and won his last amateur. Tiger, yeah, yeah. Just before he went pro, I mean, if you talk to Herschelin, Herschelin would know. Herschelin knows all those facts. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm lucky I even got to the, find my way to the office every day. Um, <laughs> but 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 Tiger used to come almost all, almost every day, and we would just stick him in an edit room, and he would just love to watch all those shells. Wonderful world of golf's and. Um, he was I, – I loved Tiger in the beginning, and then all of a sudden, I don't know what happened. He just – and I don't know if it was fame. I don't know if it was old man. I don't know if it was the guys he was he was traveling with, but he just uh, – he, he just didn't become – he just wasn't as friendly as he was for a while. Um, but, but I personally don't have any Tiger Woods stories. There you have it, man. But you know, I I I just you know I have lots of stories about a lot of people. Tiger's not one of them. Well, okay, you know? then I guess to put a, to put one big cherry on top, 
in your opinion, what what would you say? Because and we dig your personal taste, so we'll take your 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 best opinion at your word. What's your most interesting moment or interaction you've ever had with anybody? It doesn't matter if it's the Dalai Lama, real or fake. Uh, what you got? Well, one of the most ex- well. Are we going about talking about sh- about smoking opium with shamans in Kathmandu? <laughs> well, that, that, you're right. That is I mean, interesting that, with, that, no, with no use of proper nouns. Correct. But, you told um, me about going with hey, Chris. Hey, here's, 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 a, here's a memory that I have. Uh, maybe it's 60 years old. My dad was the physical therapist, the, the trainer for the Pittsburgh Pirates baseball team back in, 19, in the 60s. And what I would get to do every Sunday was I would get to go with my dad to the baseball games and I would hang out in the clubhouse with the pirates. And what I would be able to do before the game is I would go out into right field, get to put on my Pittsburgh pirate uniform Hmm. and Roberto Clemente. Oh, Clemente would throw me underhand baseballs and I'd whack them into the right field stands and I would run around Roberto Clemente playing baseball with him for about an hour or two every Sunday for the entire baseball season. You cannot top that. I mean, that's, that's a hard one. Extraordinary. That's, that's, that's everything right there. And then I would, and then a year, then I would come in and, and Willie Stargell would pick me up. He'd carry me around on his shoulders and Roberto and Willie Stargell and I would play stratomatic baseball in front of their lockers. And that was how I grew up. All right, stop it. I'm done. You guys got anything else for this guy? I just really appreciate Michael being so trusting in me, me, Tucker Booth, that he would let yeah, me. Yeah, who are you? Yeah. That he would let me spend hours and hours listening to his deepest, darkest secrets, remembrances, highs, lows, and that he would stick with me because this piece was hard for me to write. I think it was one of the hardest pieces I've ever had to write much harder than writing the Kessler piece because I not only had a genuine affinity for Michael, but I, I wanted Michael to tell you, <laughs> I, I wanted to tell the story right. And I know Mike is a perfectionist and he's got that OCD uh, tenacity about him. And I knew it was going to be really hard to, to write something that he would approve of, but I have to say he stuck with me. We went through a lot of highs and lows together emotionally doing this. And I've, I feel like we've, we've, secreted this friendship you know it's become even deeper uh, of a brotherhood from doing this and I'm super proud of this and I'm super proud of Michael for sticking with it because I know this is really hard for you Michael so thank you for believing in me and also thank you for telling your story because I do think it will genuinely help lots of others who read it thank you thank you yeah, I think you're right. I think you will. And I, and I still think Tucker still thinks I'm getting a big check from the Golf Channel. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's we all dream that we get that mailbox money, you know. We all <laughs> when you do, we'll send you our PayPal. Like actual LPs or tangible things, you know. So it, we, we all can hope. We all hope for you. It's hope for you. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the clearinghouse with Joe Gibbs will be out there one day with a big check. Oh, goodness. Yeah. How, how's, I mean, how's Joe doing? You, you talked to him lately? I last last time I talked to Joe Gibbs, I think he was kicking me in the ass to, to get out of the building. Like physically, really. For this piece, yeah. I'd like to to give any statements on Michael. Did not hear back from Joe. Um, pretty much, I, I did get quotes from Scott Van Pelt, which are in the piece. Yes. Uh, 
Duckworth is in the piece. But Joe and some of the other big guys back there, Bob Greenway, some of these guys, they did not want to to talk to me for this piece. So take from that what you will, folks. But uh, the top dogs hey, were very much. Guys, let, 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 me, let me say this. I hold no I, – I thank Joe. I thank Bob. I thank the Golf Channel. I thank them all for the opportunity. Everything that happened, I take responsibility for the good. And I take responsibility for the bad, and I wish them nothing but the best. Uh, that sounds great, guys. Uh, uh, Zach, I have no sign off, no plugs. Uh, it's been a really great episode. No. Yeah. Thanks so much, Mike, for giving us the time. Oh, and before we do, before we do, before we do go Tucker. off, Tucker, this was a big Tucker thing too. I mean, come on. If it wasn't for Tucker, we wouldn't be feuding with PK and. Uh, and whether he's, uh, you know, on or off his uh, uppers or downers and the combination. Oh, exactly. So thanks to Tucker and Mike. And before we go off, I know this, the article on Mike is going to be posted on another website promoting mental health awareness. And so before we leave, Tucker, could you plug him and so people can find it wherever they want. For bringing that up. Yes. This is going to run on two different websites. Of course, you can find it at fromthebacktees.com. My good friend from childhood, John Paler, runs a blog called Bipolar Battle. You can find him on Twitter under the Bipolar Battle handle. Oh, yeah, John, good people. BipolarBattle.com. Definitely check out the website. I will be running links on my Twitter page, Tuckerdale Booth. I know from the back tees will run some links as well. Definitely check out Bipolar Battle. If you feel like you're struggling with mental illness at all, this is someone that has dealt with bipolar issues throughout his life. He makes it his mission to raise awareness on how to deal with all of these things. And Michael has graciously written the foreword to his new book, which is coming out about how to handle these issues as well. So be sure to check out Bipolar Battle. And again, shout out to Michael Whalen for being the only person that I've written yeah. about so far who has not blocked me online yet. Thank you, Michael. I don't have a second machine yet, so we're working right. on it. Someone else kiss my ass. Michael, rock on. <laughs> Thanks well, a lot, Mike, and hopefully we'll have you on on again soon. Hey, man, I'm always available. That sounds great. We really appreciate uh, all the input, and uh, we'll definitely be chatting later about all the above, right? Yep, I'm always around, guys. Absolutely. Have well, a good one, John. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for listening to From the Back Tees. Toward the hole, and it's in with 30. We hope you enjoyed today's show. For more information and updates, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at From the Back Tees. I'm going to enjoy it for the rest of my life. See you next week. Be the ball, man.